On this day, 30 years ago, this is what we were listening to in 1992. Snap with Rhythm is a Dancer. Snap started a six-week run at number one in the UK single chart. It was uh, number, it made the top ten in New Zealand. It was German Euro dance group, David Farah. It's back to the blue light disco for you. Here you are, trying out the moves to the latest uh, Euro sounds. You've got your best polo shirt on, the Andre Agassi headband. Have I got this right? <laughs> Yes. Well, I'm not the best on discos because the last disco I went to was one for five-year-olds where I was amazed how good five-year-old girls are at dancing. Uh, I thought none of the kids could dance at five. But yes, uh, that's really my only disco experience. Recall the song, uh, Zoe, 30 years ago Absolute. today. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually the pickup that I need right now. Uh, and I feel like I need to get my glow sticks out. But yes, that is very blue light disco. And uh, Dad uh, coming up to me dancing with a boy <laughs> and shoving a balloon between us. Being like, nope, nope. Well, you know, there you well, go. Hang so. on. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not allowed to dance too close. Had to be at least a balloon with the way. My producer says I had the Kasingo, Kasingal, I wore it out. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, I can't believe how rude um, your dad was. Shoving a oh, blue yeah, balloon right. in a, the middle. A balloon of- between, in between me and a boy to make sure that we were socially distancing. <laughs> 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 My dad was the uh, local cop and I had no street cred as it was. So, you know, that was kind of the end of that run. <laughs> 25 to 5, the panel. Now, firefighters... <laughs> are preparing to go on strike in two weeks' time, saying they feel underpaid, under-resourced and undervalued. A one-hour strike will take place between 11am and 12pm on the 19th of August and again a week later on the on the 26th. The strike would be the first of its kind. Uh, while five others took similar action 25 years ago, it'll be the first nationwide strike. With us is Professional Firefighters Union Secretary Wattie Watson. Kia ora, Wattie. Kia Thank you for having me. Pleasure. This has been ongoing for quite some time. Can you explain the issue for us? Well, so we've been in bargaining since June uh, 2021. We've had more than 145 hours of meetings and uh, we are still uh, some way apart. The key issues are really around um, the safe systems of work, the proper resourcing, including staffing and appliances and um, equipment like safe hosing, hoses, etc., um, as well as recognition of other health, safety and wellbeing issues. And, of course, there is an issue of wages as well. So those safe staffing issues go across our membership. We include we have firefighters. We've got the 111 emergency centre call centres. We've got the volunteer support officers. We've got trainers. We've got um, uh, the risk reduction and um, community uh, risk reduction people. And we also have people in a whole lot of other jobs like health, safety and wellbeing as well. What are you asking for? We're asking for safe systems of work, recognition of health and wellbeing problems, as well as fair and reasonable pay. So the safe systems of work include proper staffing. Uh, Staffing that um, ensures that, for example, firefighters are not having to work the extraordinary hours that they're working now or, you know, week after week. Um, 
and also the um, systems of work so that they've got reliable appliances and equipment that FEMS has proper processes for the procurement of those issues, um, that we want them to be properly assisted uh, with their mental health and wellbeing issues, that they need proper testing programs so that we can identify their occupational cancers and other occupational illnesses early. Um, and of course, we uh, want fair wages as well. Let's bring our uh, panel in. Um, and by the way, we're going to South Africa to talk All Blacks very, very soon. Zoe George. Yeah, I mean, as a as a young journalist, I used to um, head out with with the firefighters, and some of the scenes that they have to deal with on a daily basis are just horrific. Um, between now and the strike, are you going back to mediation? And if so, what are you hoping to achieve? We're actually back in mediation on Wednesday and Thursday this week. Uh, we're hoping to make some progress. We're hoping to nail it is what we want to do, to be frank with you. The firefighters and our other members do not want to take the strike action, but you know, we're, at the, we're at the end of our tether. So we're hoping that FEMS will come to the party and actually deal with the key issues that they either have ignored so far in their office or they just haven't come far enough uh, for us. Oh, David. An interested are FEMS the ultimate decision-maker here, as in can they agree to what the union wants and just stick the insurance levy up by themselves, or do they have to go to government to get permission to increase the levy for any extra costs? So this is we don't believe this is a funding issue. Um, any levy uh, isn't, isn't at the sole discretion of FEMS. But this isn't a funding issue, Um we, well, we see no evidence of that. Since FENS was established in 2017, they've had 40% more income per annum. And it's where they're spending that money that is the problem. They have uh, created a huge corporate entity that we call the complicator, uh, that all the focus um, is on, on that corporate entity rather than the focus being on resourcing uh, in order to get the firefighters volunteering career out the door and to assist the community in its resilience and um, in its preparedness. So, for example, they uh, you know recently advertised huge ICT uh, numbers of jobs, huge number of jobs in finance. Uh, they've got admin workers like um, uh, uh, personal assistants who are paid more than a senior station officer with huge responsibilities and more than 15 years under their belt. What's the base salary for a qualified firefighter? So uh, there's a, a qualified firefighter. To be a qualified firefighter, uh, you have been there um, uh, for more than two years, generally, and uh, it's still around the uh, 50000 mark. 50000 Yeah. Can I ask? Right, not, can I, mm, yeah, Zoe. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Can I ask, do you know what the gender pay gap is? The gender pay gap? Yeah. No, I don't personally know okay. the gender pay gap. $50,000 uh, as base rate for a qualified uh, firefighter. All right, uh, what a cure. Thank you for your time. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, we'll be watching that with interest. Firefighters preparing to go on strike in a couple of weeks' time, saying they feel underpaid.
$50,000 as base rate for a qualified uh, firefighter. 19 to 5, the panel, David Farah and Zoe George with me. Now, it might be a whole lot of joy for the Kiwis at the Commonwealth Games, and boy, can you hear the joy in Zoe George's voice there. Extraordinary. Um, <laughs> but, uh, hey, got to bring this up, don't right? Less so for our national game, rugby. The incredible pressure was already on the All Blacks under Ian Foster heading to South Africa. Now at breaking point after the All Blacks lost to South Africa 2016. It took 13 minutes for the All Blacks to even really touch the ball. 42,000 packed into the Mombella Stadium to watch a clinical Springbok performance. But All Blacks coach Ian Foster, he's predicting something special quote-unquote, from his embattled team in the weekend's rematch. Here's a bit of the first test atmosphere. And try scored! Billy LaRue! Now you have some sympathy for the All Blacks because they were trying. In the final moments of the game, they were just trying to run themselves out of the 22. All right, so the panel is going to go into the cauldron of rugby, someone who was there in the stadium and who must have relished every moment of the sorry affair is Morn Cruz from the Nelspert Rugby Club in Mombella, South Africa. Morn, thank you so much for waking up early for us here in New Zealand. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You sound pretty tired at the moment, but in the stadium, you must have been extremely excited. Yes, yeah, the atmosphere was electrical. It was amazing, and having 42,300 people in the stadium on their feet was just amazing. How was the atmosphere? Explain it more for us, uh, Morn. Yeah, I think it was people screaming. It was it was just something you actually can't explain. We haven't experienced this at Nelspreit before, so it was just amazing having people smiling and enjoying every moment of the game. Not us, though, Morn. Not us. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, out of the 42,300, I've seen only about 50 New Zealand supporters, so I think on the day was tough. It was tough with all the South African supporters. Um, yeah, so I think it was a tough day at the office. Tough day at the office, all right, Maul. We've got a panel with us as well. But before, before we go to them, um, what's been the talk about the All Blacks in South Africa? Yeah, I think um, we expected them to bounce back and come back better. I think we were... We never underestimated them and making them the underdogs. We expected um, a great show from them. So um, yeah, from the South African point of view, I think um, we were quite well and executed well. Um, but we yeah, never underestimated the New Zealand team. Right. Uh, Zoe, let's bring you in. Yeah, how much time have we got? Um, I mean, South Africa played incredibly well. And actually, my hat is taken off to the All Blacks as well for actually 
it could it could have been a rather large score, and it was only sixteen. So I'll give them that. Now, the, for me, it's a little bit about perspective here. Uh, as a long time and long suffering Hurricanes, White Ferns, and Black Caps fan, <laughs> you get used to losing, and unfortunately, with the All Blacks, we're so used to them winning, and there's this expectation yeah. on them to win all the time. And we need to come back to what we were talking about at the top of the hour around the psychology of this, you know, about how hard it is to get back up from a win. And the commentary that's going on, particularly here in New Zealand and from fans, is not necessarily going to be helpful to the All Blacks. The All Blacks are their own worst critics as well, and they don't need us piling on top. So it would be, you know, it's a really great opportunity to go, okay, yeah, we know things are tough. We get it. We still love you. We still support you. You're still the All Blacks. You can do this. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. You can do it. Next week is going to be a huge challenge. I don't think they're going to win it at, at, at Alice Park. But, yeah, because you know, you're going you to learn. That, yeah, yeah, sorry, jo- yeah. Jo, I was going to say, you go into that no. confidence spiral, eh? Yeah, you do. And, mm. and, your, and your confidence gets knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked. And this is what's happening with the All Blacks at the moment. They're spiralling. And as I said earlier around cycling as well, when we put too much emphasis on the end result uh, instead of athletes as human beings, that has a, a massive impact on their mental health and well-being. And I imagine the All Blacks are feeling terrible right now. Um, and I think we just Fair need enough. to give them a little bit of support. Yeah, <laughs> I'll come to David soon more and I'll bring you in again. I mean, as a rugby fan and a rugby player, what advice would you give the All Blacks? Are you there, Morn? Yes, yes. Yeah, I think there was still um, the New Zealand still in the building phase. There's some new guys probably they are still working to World Cup next year. So getting some new guys into the system, I think that's also necessary. So I think they should just keep on doing what they're currently doing and they'll probably get up to the top as we know New Zealand. All right, David? Well, I've been trying to put this in perspective, um, listening to what Zoe said, because, look, All Blacks from time to time have lost games, even lost series, and especially losing to the spring boxes is definitely not rare, but... I think the losing streak we've currently got, I can't recall a similar one in my lifetime. Um, I, in fact, I did a bit of Googling. It looks like 1949 might be the last time that the All Blacks have lost so many games in a row because that is actually what we have come to expect. Sure, you lose the odd game, but give a couple more games, you come back. And what people are getting worried about is they're not seeing that there is that plan to come back. I mean, Ian Foster said this was their best game of the year, but when your best game of the year is still one of your worst ever losses against another team, it's not the most encouraging. I know you want to say something, Zoe. Can I just can I just bring in something before Morn Mornay rather uh, leaves us um, and just turn your head a bit, Mornay, so you can so we can hear you a bit better. But some of your tactics have come under fire. That Springbok aerial assault, you know, Bowden Barrett taken out midair by uh, Kurt Lee Resner. Uh, is it time for that nonsense from your team to stop? Yeah. Probably with the best wingers, I think, in the world um, to use their strong points and their aerial skills to get that balls back. Um, and that's probably part of the game plan and why they 
they keep on doing that game plan. But yeah, I think that's something they can work on a bit. Um, maybe go more for the ball and look better out for the man. Um, but yeah, I think currently it's a strong point and they're using it to the best of their advantage. Although somebody could have been paralysed, Mornay. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think, um, I think the red card was probably um, the, the right decision the ref made there. Um, and probably they'll really look at the things and, and make sure because if it was earlier in the game, it could have cost them the game. So I'm sure they'll go back to the drawing boards and um, just really look at um, things like that. All right. Wonderful to have you on the programme, Mornay. Thank you very much for being with us so, so early in the morning from Mombella in South Africa. That's Mornay Cruz there from the Nelsbrut Rugby Club in Mombella, South Africa. Zoe, a jump in. You wanted to say something? Yeah, I was going to say we learn a lot from losing. There's a lot of uh, good not, that comes but, but from not, losing. Not, not, <laughs> no, but not this type of losing. Not this type of losing. Please, no more. See, and he was right. We are in a rebuilding phase. We're still a year out from the World Cup. Yes, there'll be more discussions about whether or not Foster will be coach come this time next week. Um, I think, though, right now that as as rugby fans, as all black fans, we just need to get in behind them and just go, it's okay. These things happen and we support you and we still love you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just me being, you know, because I have seen so much. Um, I know what happens to athletes when they go down the spiral. And we've already talked about yep. it today on the show. And I don't want to have to see another athlete go through that. Sorry, it's making uh, me no, very no. upset. Oh, but, you no, know, absolutely. And yeah. So that's why we need to be incredibly mindful in the way that we talk about our athletes um, in regards to this. So do you, do you I wish hear, the All Blacks all the best. No, well, fantastic. So I'm really pleased that you came onto the panel to say that. Do you, are you hearing that, David Farrow, that actually the issue is much wider than losing after so many years? You can, you, you can see it on the faces of some of these men. Ian Foster, the, the, the captain, just utter devastation. Mental health is important here too. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's huge support there for the players, but there are people wanting, I guess, accountability because everyone is so invested in the All Blacks. They're saying, well, something must have gone wrong. Who is to blame? That's an awful way to do it, but that is what people say. They want to know what's the problem, how do we fix it, um, and is it, you know, changing the coach is, of course, the one that's, you know, most commonly talked about. I think the Herald, and first time I can recall the Herald doing the around the front page editorial, was it calling for the coach to go? Um, so that certainly adds to the pressure, but I think it's reflecting people want to know how do you get the change that we need. Nine to five, the panel, RNZ National, David Farrar and Zoe George with me today. And thank you very much for your, your feedback uh, this afternoon. By the way, you can get in touch by text 2101 or email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. And in, kind of, in a completely different topic, Barbie is moving away from its pretty and pink stereotype and is stepping into the modern world. Its latest offering to young kids is a doll of conservation activist Jane Goodall. Snow Frills Barbie, joined by the chimpanzee, is wearing field attire, binoculars and carries a notebook as part of Mattel's Barbie Inspiring Women series. And she joins... The likes of Amelia Earhart, NASA mathematician Catherine Johnson and Frida Kahlo. 
With us is University of Canterbury history professor Katie Pickles. And Katie's written about the evolution of Bowie for the conversation uh, actually just a few days ago. And Professor Katie Pickles is with me now. Kia ora, welcome. Kia ora, Wallace. Did Barbie need to change? Barbie needed to change if she was going to sell, didn't she? And Mattel claims to be. (laughs) It's about um, consumption catching up with changing social norms in society and claiming to be doing the right thing. Yes. So what's what's this all about? What is this move into, uh, I guess, heroes or activists? Uh, What's behind it? And is it a good thing? Is it a positive thing? Well, it's obviously positive and others would see not. I was really interested because I've got a new book out called Heroines in History, A Thousand Faces, and it looks at heroines over the past 200 years all around the globe from different cultures. And I identify a series of characteristics, archetypes. And really what I'm arguing is that heroines, the I-N-E suffix that's attached onto the hero, just re-heterosexualizes, goes back to the past for these heroines. And then turning these women who've tried to step outside of stereotypical roles are inspiring women into plastic. It's ultimately putting them back in their place and still emphasising uh-huh. that ultimately your achievement, it doesn't matter what you achieve, at the end of the day, it's your image, your glamorous image of how you looked and you're a Barbie doll. Yes, but instead you're playing as a child with a NASA mathematician, Catherine Johnson. You're playing with Amelia Earhart. You're playing with these great, inspiring people. Yes, absolutely. So it's like the claim is that it's a role model for girls. But what gets me is how it's still boys and girls separated into essential binary identities. And because if you think about it, um, David Attenborough, he, he actually does have a few dolls, <laughs> but they're not serial. They're not serial-made dolls for everybody, like Barbie, with all of that baggage of the past. Um, they're, they're very much sort of local-made knitted examples. And so, couldn't we have put Jane Goodall's clothes on? Um, so, a Ken doll. At, at the end of the day, it, it matters, doesn't it, that these these women's bodies? Zoe. Yeah, I find this incredibly fascinating, and your piece was so well written. Um, I'm, I, 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 yeah, because I would love to give a little Barbie doll of me to my nieces and nephews to have. And we've had a couple of New Zealanders turn into Barbie dolls. We had sports journalist yeah. Melody Robinson right. and Valerie Adams. And yeah. you know, I had, I grew up with Barbie dolls. I had Spice Girls Barbie dolls. Um, there's a Joan Jett Barbie doll, and you know, there is a whole lot of cultural stuff, as was pointed out, around Barbie. But I. But they're slowly catching up. So part of me is kind of glad, but I'm so torn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes it, it's, that's the good, the good side of it is that the, especially the, those are the role model yeah, Barbies like Valerie and Melody. And then the, the ones I've been the most interested in are the inspiring women. And they're, they're mostly um, dead. They've passed on. Jane Goodall's still alive. She's one of them. And she said she did it so girls can copy her and be conservationists. But I think people can go on and be, and be rugby players and be conservationists without being made into a doll. Um, mm-hmm. Historically, like dolls have a really rich history and it's often really diverse. And it's as icons, though, as royals. And the, the thing with Barbie is it's serialisation. It was, and it's fascinating. Can it overcome that serialisation to make individual? You can dress your Barbie as anything you want her to be, but at the end of the day, she's still a she. 
Okay, well, I would like to know, maybe the listeners can help me, is there any appetite for uh, David Faradol, um, <laughs> maybe in terms of the sort of the blogging community? Uh, if you were keen to buy one, text me 2101. Would you support? And would I be a Ken or a Barbie doll? Well, yes. that's, the, that's another yes. question. David, your thoughts on this? Well, look, I quite like that you've got a lot of traditional figures out there like Barbie dolls and others, which are changing to evolve with the times. I came across a great storybook about, it's the old Cinderella story about set in space. And she ends up fixing the prince's spaceship. And then he proposes marriage to her. And she goes, why would I want to marry you? I'm far too young to marry. I want to be your chief mechanic. And I thought that was an example of taking something which we've all known and loved over the years, the story of Cinderella, but realizing actually we don't really want to be telling young girls today their aspiration should be hopefully you marry a prince. And it was a way of modernizing it. So I think Barbie are trying to do the same, to say we've got something that a lot of people have loved, but we want to actually make a more positive role model. What's the advice? Finally, what's the advice, Professor Pickles? Because I've got a text here. Oh, for goodness yeah. sake, girls <laughs> like dolls. Come on. <laughs> well, well, Barbie would probably, Mattel would agree with that, wouldn't they? And um, everybody likes dolls. Like, think see? Of it, dolls are an object of iconography, and uh, they've been with us forever through different cultures. Voodoo dolls, you know, mm. they're, they're not necessarily just for girls, are they? Mm. What's so interesting, this is about modern plastic, post-World War II plastic that that really uh, got up feminist noses, like I'm Not a Barbie Doll was the march, and it's about living lives of substance beyond your image. And so what we've got, what I'm so fascinated in is out of the past, and this is what I look at all through my book, we come to this point where, yeah, it's icon role model and they're conflated together. Very good, Katie. Kia ora. Thanks for your time. Speaking of icon, rhythm is a dancer. That's what we've got <laughs> going on. Zoe, George, David, Farah, thank you for being with me Monday afternoon. You've been wonderful. I'm Wallace Chapman. See you tomorrow, 3.45. Stay with us. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint next up.